Hey, Bill, a lot of uh, fans have sent in questions about Sonny King. Seems to be some con a lot of stories about he did have heart <laughs> surgery or he got stabbed by five people or they wanted to know if any of that was true and what was the real story. He kind of disappeared and came back as a manager. What, uh, well, I don't know how many people actually was in the fight, but he did get in a fight and he did get stabbed. And, and I mean, he would have probably killed the normal Joe, but it didn't him, but it put him and sidelined him for a while, so that's where he went for a little while. He, he did get in a fight and he did get stabbed. And did he, uh, is that the, the time when he, he pretty much stopped working and came back to yeah, manager? Yeah, he came back as the manager, yeah. I think technically, but see, the guy was a hell of a talker too, so, and we was in Louisiana at the time. And he was talking to the brothers. And you know how that was. JYD had him set for that for the last 10 years. So, yeah, you, 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 needed, you needed a brother to talk to the brothers to get him to come to the building. Us white dudes didn't do it as quite as good. <laughs> uh, also, fantasy in the question, uh, how you ended up uh, being starting managing and, and managing the mod squad, the tag team, two big burly guys. And That's exactly what they were, two big burly guys, and they could work and they looked good, but they were from the Carolinas, and when they first go into business, they talked Carolina, and they were kind of redneck talking, so I thought that this is not quite gonna go over everywhere, so I'll do the talking for the first little bit, then when they get more better at it, more better at them, <laughs> sounding like them now. <laughs> so when they get better at it, they can take up for themselves, and they did, and they became a, well, they were a hell of a team, and they drew a lot of money. Uh, later on, they, they kind of stepped out of the, that role, and uh, they had a manager, J.D. Costello, Costello, little thin tie, little hat, and the, what you should be to be a manager. Exactly. I mean, you, you know, I mean that's how Jimmy Hart got over so good because his physique and his build and how he talked, he screeched when he talked, and J.D. Costello didn't have quite as high pitched a voice, but he was kind of on the same lines as Hart. Not he was hard personality, but. He, he was little and thin and the right stuff for a manager. We put him with the mod squad and they drew a lot of money. Now, any particular reason it don't seem like that team or he stayed around Memphis too long? It just worked out. They went on to different pastures. Yeah, and then one of them, I think, went home to do different little family things. So then, you know, when there's a tag team and one leaves, it's a kind of, I know that with me and Barnes, it's, it, it, it worked that good for me. But sometimes if you're a tag and it splits up, the other guy don't do so good. But so I just don't really know if it was a personal thing that they went home on. But I, know, I don't even know if they're still in the business. That, they seem to kind of disappear. They popped up here and there after that, but I... I don't recall them ever really being anywhere else. No, the biggest run was here in Central States. Yeah. For them, that was the best they did. Now, did you, are you the reason they ended up in Central States? Uh -huh. You went out there with them? I'm the reason a lot of people ended up in <laughs> Central States. Buddy Landell. <laughs> he said, you hate me, you son of a, <laughs> you know, how Buddy talked. I said, why, Buddy? He said, why would you get sat here in the middle of winter? <laughs> Snowing like the Dickens. <laughs> um, what well, dog. Hey, can't, I'll, most people talk about your Memphis work, but you did have the Central States title, run with it, and uh... getting that off Bob Brown was like pulling teeth. Oh. Now there's a guy been around a long time, and I knew Bob in Australia. I did jobs for him when he was a star in Australia for Jim Barnett, so I knew Bob, and you know he was 
he's he's a kind of different, but when you get to know him, he's, he, he's and he was always nice to me. So what can you say? A lot of people don't get along with Dusty Rhodes, but I got along good with Dusty. I mean, you can't knock him to me because he was never nothing but nice to me. So, and I know some of Dusty's ways would get under your skin, but and he was Dusty's biggest fan. So, what can you say? I'm Bill Dundee's biggest fan, bro. I'm just not as big as the dream. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, I, I got to work with Pat Rose. He was a, um, a fabulous Fargo with Ken Tim and Don Fargo and. I saw his work in Southeastern and Continental and Mr. Russell two and three and uh, he threw out a comment. He told me to tell you to tell something about the Pat Rose Buddy's wife story, but I will research that because believe me, Pat Rose, Bill Dundee, and Buddy Landell drove up and down the road for about a year or two years together in this territory, and then the, and then what, what we were just talking about Central States. So there is a load of stories, and there is one that you can't tell on this podcast, but, and I think that's the one Pat's referring to, so I will have to look it up. Yeah, I'm going to get with Pat and uh, make sure he's okay with you. Uh, he may not, uh, he may be asking uh, Francis that he doesn't, doesn't want right. no, you don't no, want the answer, don't ask the question. Yeah, so we, we might have to remind him of that. All right, there, uh, a couple of new uh Shoot videos come out of uh, interviews with uh, uh, Tommy Rich, and uh, he was telling a story about uh, kind of pissed at you. You got got a whole bunch of them arrested. No, just night. me and Tommy. Oh, okay. There was only the two of us and a girl. What happened? Well, everything he said was a kind of truth. They, they were going to throw. They did throw us out the bar. We were going to fight in the bar, and this other guy had a pistol. That's how I went and got mine. There was a guy, a gangster. Memphis gangster guy at the bar and said, Dundee, you ain't that tough. And he pulled back his coat and you could see the gun. I said, hey, don't leave, motherfucker. So I went and got mine. Well, you can't have guns in bars, not even 30 years ago. But anyway, he said I dropped it on the floor. Maybe I did, I don't know. But the girl that he was, and I understand why he's mad at me. He put a lot of time and effort into this girl and I guess he thought he was going to get laid that night and Dundee got drunk and told the girl she couldn't wrestle and all kinds of good. They were going to do mud wrestling. I hate that anyway. So, I mean, the girl, well, not the girl, but me, I all go over her backside. So you can't even hook up. You can't even wrestle. You can't do this. You can't. Everything he said is kind of true at that. So, but the main thing he got mad at was he never got no nookie, and that was what he was mad at. Uh, the, he said that y'all got in the parking lot horse playing and... Yeah, shot the gun shot the off gun, again. Police came the out. Portage, and oh yeah, ended the party. Looked like blue bloods on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the thing: we're in Tommy's car, and when the cops are coming, you don't put the gun under the seat and you don't put it in the glove box. That's the kind of no-no. That's the first place they look. Where do you think the first place they looked when they pulled up to Tommy's car and said, "Who shot the gun off? Who did this? Who did that?" Wow, well, we don't have about no gun officer. So anyway, the guy opens the glove box and here's the gun. You could smell it. You could tell the bullets had just been fired. So they take us all to jail. But they let us out to make TV. And that's all the counts then. Yeah, that's the main thing. We got out to do the TV. Uh, and, and it gives him something to talk about 30 years later. Well, I mean, what uh, the hell? Who, who's that guy that's asking him the questions? I don't, I, he always does a shoot interview. I, I, shoot interview. Has he ever wrestled? No, Fuck, does he no. know about wrestling? <laughs> 
Okay, so so Tommy's okay for being a little pissed for you messing up his night. Oh yeah, but okay. he, he, you know, we, me and Tom, we got in a fight one time. We need to tell you about that one another time. We black one another's eyes and rolled around like two idiots and all. This. That was that was goofy too. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Okay. All right, for all you chicken breeders out there, if you're looking for new chicken coops, you call Chicken Partners at telephone 336-391-9773, and you will get a hell of a deal, and you'll get 10% off, and tell them the superstar told you to call. Hey, during that short shoot interview, uh, Tommy Rich was hitting a couple things, and he said that uh, uh, he, he and Lawler didn't get along quite that good over the years, and kind of owned up that he realized he was kind of a snot-nosed kid and was probably a little bit of trouble himself. And you you were saying that I guess he was supposed to be because he was a kid. Yeah, he was 17 or 18. He just left high school, straight from high school to the professional wrestling business. And he go in it because he was Jerry Jarrett's buddy and Eddie Marlin's neighbor, and Eddie bro broke him into the business. Not that Eddie was Billy Robinson, but he taught him the best he could. And then in the good old days, you learned every night because they booked you against the guy that could work. So he taught you as you went along. Every night you learned something. And Tommy got in, I would say, fairly easy because he knew the Jarrett's and he knew the Marlins. But, but it was good old days of on-the-job training and you learned right. every night and... <coughs> right. And that's how Tommy learned, and he turned out to be pretty freaking good. So, I mean, what can you say? And he was young, and when you're young, you, you think the world is a different places when you get a little older. Yeah. Say, so, seems like you and, uh, actually, you and Tommy Rich were swapping the title, tag titles back and forth between uh, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. What do you, you say for them as a team? Oh, a hell of a team. You know, Phil Worker was a 300-pound guy, and he, he could take bumps like a 200-pounder. He was he hell of a, and Dennis Condor was a hell of a worker and good psychology. And Tommy and me was young and cute. Well, Tommy was young and cute, and I was 35 and cute. But anyway, that's another story. Um, any particular memories or road stories or working yeah, matches with those guys? On Phil Hickerson, we was. Driving. Phil drove it, and Sam Bass was the same way. Sam got killed at the Piney River back in 75 or 6, whatever it was. But anyway, he was Lawless manager, and they both drove like bad out of hell, fast as the car could go. So Phil passed us one day, and that was the days of CB, so we were chugging along. All right, if you're all out there and you're looking for a new roof, why don't you give Baker Roofing a call at 901? 574-7775 and if you call that number tell them the superstar told you to call you'll get 10% off your new roof okay. Go ahead. So, there, there, so anyway Phil had an LTD and boy could it run so we're hauling ass down the road about 80 miles an hour and this black LTD goes whoosh, whoosh, what the hell so anyway that's Phil so this is the days of CB so Phil, you better slow that thing down. There's a bear down the road here. He said, he said, well, if that son of a bitch can catch me, he deserves to give me a ticket. <laughs> Ain't five miles down the road. There's Phil and the blue lights on the side of the road. Guy had them on the CB. You know, we were talking uh -huh. on the CBs in them good old days. The cops had them too. So Phil said, well, I'm at the river now, down. If he can catch me before we get to Jackson, then good luck to him. Well, he caught him. And there was Phil on the side of the road. Got him a little ticket. Uh, CB, uh, anybody can listen to any channels. Yes, they can. 
Um, what about uh, Dennis Conjure? I mean, it seems like he he was a, always a stable, solid worker and, yeah, and always he, found a place. Yeah, and you never really had nothing bad about him away from the ring. So I don't know if he drank beer. I'm sure he drank beer. Everybody drank beer in them days. But So I really don't quite know he's much about his private life. But in the ring and as a worker, he never bothered nobody. And you could draw money with him. Uh, getting back to the earlier question uh, somebody asked about, of course, you, poor Chop Cash came into Memphis and put him with uh, Troy Graham and the Bruce Brothers and I think Mad Dog Boy filled yeah, in. And yeah. What do you think of him as a worker before ever getting to the tag scene and as a poor Chop Cash? I know he had a run in Watts' Mid-South before, sort of junkyard dog before JYD was the dog. I didn't know nothing about that part, but when he came to Memphis, I just thought he would, he had he always had big guns. He had 20-inch biceps, he had enormous set arms. So it, that part he would get over, but I... He was no Jerry Lawler as far as being a ring psychology or, or you know what I mean, it, it, that type. He was a good worker, but he wasn't great, I didn't think, but... And Did did you, were you booking him in Central States? Yeah. Okay. And uh, who did you put the belts on in Central States? Didn't DBH had it for a while, didn't he? Yeah, and did, did Buddy? Bud Rowe? Yeah, yeah, Buddy had it. Did I have it for a week? You, I, it might have been a month. <laughs> month a month or two. Yeah. yeah, it was a short yeah. term. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, how did you talk uh, Bulldog Brown into to dropping it to you? Well, uh, Bulldog didn't drop it to me. He dropped it to a big guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I like Bob Brown. I mean, he has a, a rap that may be true on some things, but I got along good with him. So, and he could work, and I knew him in Australia way back 10 years before we got to Central States. So I kind of had a rapport with them guys before America, so... And, and I, and he could work. He, he was old-fashioned, and he had his way of doing things, and that's how he liked to do things. But if you had Bob, here's what this is what I think a good worker is. Anybody can go out there and have a match with Jerry Law, and be ninety-nine percent great. But Jerry Lawler can go out there with a guy that can't work a friggin' lick and have a hell of a match with him. And that's what I think a good worker is. You go and make your opponent and the things that you do, anybody can throw you around like a ping pong ball or drop kick you or jump off the top rope at you or anything like that. But the psychology and all the other things that go with making the match great. Lawler would bring monsters in here when he booked. And he, well, you've seen him, he was around here. And I think, what the hell is he gonna do with this guy? But Lawler could get a match out of him. That was Lawler's talent, not the other guy. Get a short program out of right, running. short month, month, two months at the most, and the guy's gone. Beat another monster. Now, it just popped in my head. Actually, the uh, in Central States, a tag team you pushed was uh, Porchop Cash and Rick McCord. Any members of him? He seemed to be kind of stick to the Central States area. Pop up here and there. Maybe came to Memphis briefly. Rick McCord, yeah, uh, but. Uh, I liked Rick, he was a little guy, he was, you know, just any bit, not want to say any bit, I mean, for that era, yeah. you know what I mean? He was a little bitty fella, so, but 
listen to who's stopping. <laughs> just to, just, you know. But anyway, you know what I mean. So, and, and Rick could work, and he was a good guy. Hey, Bill, uh, there's a question about um, maybe the guys that, that just worked TV or were taking the, the, the losses. Was there guys that uh, obviously some of them had to, to be very strong in making your stars look good and maybe were very solid workers but never could go to that next level? You just couldn't get a star quality out of them. Whether... But here's the other thing to be on answer to this question honestly. If the booker decides he's not going to do nothing with you, or he's not going to take the time to do anything with you, you can't do it yourself. And I don't give a damn how good a worker you are. If Lauren and Dundee went somewhere that nobody knew or liked them, it doesn't matter how good workers we were, you can't get over. The office has to get you over. Uh, by uh, what they do with you, so, and let you do your thing. So obviously the, the guy losing every week could be solid worker. Right. And then the guy that couldn't work his way out of a paper bag, could, could talk or right. just decide what role you wanted to put him in. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just, it, 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 this was all about dollars and cents back in the good old days. Well, uh, but at some point, it, well, anybody come to mind that just was going to shine no matter what you did to him and sooner or later you had to give him his due or? They can't. You just kept bearing him. If your office is not behind you, you can't get over. Because they'll book you in the first match. Where the hell are you going in the first match? Nowhere. Dead end. Except the first match. Okay. Politics was the name of the game back then too, just like it kind of is to do. If the booker didn't like you or got pissed off at you or something went wrong and he didn't put you in the first match for three weeks in a row, you were done. And sooner or later, you had to get the message to probably time to pack your right. bag and move on down right. the road. Right, right. So, and we've all done that, being in the position. Yeah, just, I'm ready. There you go, yeah. So anyway, back in the good old days, some of the boys would smoke a little pot occasionally or marijuana, whatever you want to call it. So we were going down. The, Fairday, Louisiana? We were, we were going through Fairday, Louisiana. So we were going to stop and get a burger somewhere. So they tell me that when you smoke that stuff, it makes you hungry. So anyway, we were stopping to get a burger. So we would get there. So Ricky and Robert, they were with us. They were in the back of the Rock and Roll Express. I was driving. So they get out to get the burger. So this... Wonder, what the hell is that look up? He's this big old brother standing there. He says, Undo your window there, Dundee. He knew where we was. TV. I said, Hey man, how are you? He said, Want a little smoke ski? I said, No, I don't do really do that. He said, He says, I got a dime bag here. I said, You do? I said, Well, dime bag. I'm thinking now. I, I have no idea what he's. But I'm getting in my head that we're going to get this for a dime. So Ricky and Robert come back and they get in the car. So we do the double shuffle. I give the guy the dime. He gives me the bag and I take it. We take off. Boom, he's running behind us. You mother man. <laughs> Robert says, to him, why is he mad at us? I said, well, I didn't know I bought this bag off him. 
He said, how much did you give him? I said, what do you ask for? A dime. <laughs> well. He said a dime. He said, but we'll take it. So anyway, the guy was mad. I thought, we got this for a dime. A hell of a deal. You gave him what he asked? Yeah. He said a dime. He said, I got a dime bag here. So I gave him a dime for his, I guess it'd be 30 bucks, 40 bucks worth, right? <laughs> but he, he didn't get what he was expecting, so. All right. Thanks, bye.